Hi, I'm Marley Huggins, and this is the College Crisis Podcast, a podcast where we discuss the issues faced by college students and solutions to those problems. Today, I'll be discussing the hardships of maintaining a healthy lifestyle, exploring the barriers created by the college lifestyle and social media. We'll be hearing from professionals such as Dr. Thunder Jalili. Hi, my name is Dr. Thunder Jalili. I'm a professor in the Department of Nutrition and Integrative Physiology. And Catherine Pagano. My name is Catherine Pagano. I am an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology, a lecturer and an adjunct professor in the uh, Educational Psychology Department. To give us further information on the issue. We'll also be joined by Ellie, a college student who's dealing with these struggles currently. Hi, I'm Ellie Toner, and I am a sophomore at the University of Utah, and I'm a strategic communications major. As a college student, you have multiple stressors. You have to worry about your grades, tuition, scholarship, friendships, etc. You're given a newfound independence, which also means new responsibilities. You got to do your own laundry, wake yourself up for class, find your own studying resources, and pretty much take on the burdens that your parents have taken care of for you for so long. And on top of all that, it's now up to you to feed yourself. For some, that may seem easy, but for college students without guidance, it can seem almost impossible. People end up spending too much time at the dining hall because of the limited options. Others don't go enough because they hate the quality of food. And then the people who have a kitchen of their own struggle to balance grocery shopping and meal prepping with their busy schedule. According to the Obesity Medicine Association, almost one in three college American students have obesity presently. So how are we expected to maintain a healthy lifestyle while so much in our lives is changing? When looking to make healthy lifestyle changes, it's hard to avoid the negative suggestions. Because of the weight gain or threat of weight gain, many students try to participate in different types of diets to stay in good shape. While there's nothing wrong with practicing healthy eating habits, it's really hard not to be blindsided by the media. Diet culture is a huge part of American culture, and it tends to speak much louder than the actual nutritional lifestyle changes that you could make. Diet culture is the belief that your health is reflected solely in the number on the scale and how small you look. Diet culture promotes participating in very restrictive diets in order to shed some pounds. Most of the diets promoted through diet culture don't end up working. They're short-term and cut out important parts of your diet and leaves you feeling very unenergized. You end up breaking these diets and feeling ashamed that you didn't get the expected results. So you keep participating to find one that's going to get you those results, further benefiting the industry. The reason it's hard to sustain diets for the long term is because of our survival instincts. By restricting calories and food groups, your body automatically believes it's experiencing some form of famine, which causes a major decrease in one's energy. Here are just a few examples of really popular fad diets. First, there's the Atkins diet. This diet prioritizes high-protein intake and restricting the amount of carbs you eat, forcing your body to use stored fat for energy. Although the high-protein intake keeps you full, 
This fullness really is just short-term, and it can reverse almost immediately, giving you the opposite results. Then there's the infamous keto diet. The keto diet prioritizes the fuel from the stored fat in your liver. A majority of the food you eat needs to be high in fats. The restriction on carbs is so heavy that participants are required to cut out large amounts of fruits and vegetables. Because there's such priority in saturated fats, you can risk chances of heart disease by participating in this diet. You also miss out on important sources of nutrition from your fruits and vegetables. The keto diet really should just be used for individuals with health problems such as diabetes. Next, we have intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is a calorie-restricting diet that typically involves skipping at least one meal a day. It can leave people feeling very fatigued and has dangerous impacts on people with conditions like diabetes. Finally, there's the carnivore diet. This is a diet that consists of zero carbs, including zero fruits and vegetables. It's strictly meat with a few animal-made products such as butter. Like the Atkins diet, the protein intake is supposed to suppress appetite to prevent excess calories. But a big problem with the carnivore diet is that you miss out on important food groups, and you also miss out on important things such as vitamin C, vitamin E, and fiber. All of these diets are united in the fact that you miss out on important nutrients in order to lose weight. By participating in these diets, you also struggle a lot with keeping your energy up and you feel very fatigued which can get in the way of having an active lifestyle. So these diets aren't really healthy lifestyle changes if you're cutting out entire food groups that are there to support your health and you're not giving yourself enough energy to maintain an active lifestyle. In order to find guidance on navigating a nutritional diet, I asked Dr. Thunder Jalili for some advice. Do you see um, how, like things like fad diets, they're notorious for being very short-term. Do you see any health benefits of fad diets if people were to continue them long-term? No, actually, I don't see any uh, long-term health benefits. Fad diets are like a really quick solution to a long-term underlying problem that requires like a lifestyle change, a different approach to like food behavior, and uh, recognizing what healthy eating patterns are. That's really how you take care of obesity. Fad diets are, they're just a Band-Aid. Um, I've noticed looking at a lot of fad diets, a lot of them try to cut carbs out of people's diets. Why do you think that a lot of people try to cut carbs out of their diet? I think um, there's, there's a couple of reasons why. One of them is that... Um, the carbohydrates that people eat that like make them more predisposed to weight gain tend to be like simple carbs and sugars and these are found in processed foods so if you tell somebody to stop eating carbs some of the really easy things to avoid is they'll stop drinking like soda they'll stop having sugary foods they'll stop having like processed packaged carbohydrate rich foods and that uh, represents a good way to you know eat less calories and lose some weight without really affecting diet quality. I mean, you actually improve your diet quality because then the carbs that are left are more healthy carbs, like things that are fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Beyond that, like a more extreme reduction of carbs, that can also like help people lose even more weight. But then you may run into some longer term health uh, detriments because of not having foods that have like fiber, 
or vitamins or phytochemicals. Let's see, what would you recommend for a college student who's trying to eat a healthier diet while balancing things like, you know, money problems, um, classes, like no time to cook food? How would you recommend for a college student to maintain a healthy lifestyle within their diet? I would say that uh, try to not spend money on things that don't have a direct health benefit. Like if you like to get like Starbucks every day, you can save $5, $6 a day by not doing that or maybe having it once a week. Um, don't drink as much. You know, the money you save buying, you know, 12 or 20 beers a week or whatever it is can go towards healthier food. So those are some obvious approaches. Like put a priority on your health and try to reduce the other stuff. That way you have more money to buy some of the foods that are more healthy. And then if you go out to eat, you know, just be a little smarter instead of choosing fast foods, you know, look for more healthy um, fast food opportunities. And they are out there, you know, so that that's that's where I would start. Do you have any examples of healthy fast food options? Yeah, yeah, a few I can think of. Um, for example, like uh, Cafe Rio has some healthy options. Um, you know, I go there and I like rice and beans. I'll get like an order of rice and beans. It's good protein. It's good fiber. Maybe I'll get like a taco on the side. That's that's fairly healthy. Uh, to me, that's better than say going to, you know, In-N-Out Burger or something like that and getting you know a huge Coke and a burger and a big thing of French fries. So that that's one example that's off the top of my head. Others are, you know, getting like sandwiches or wraps rather than, um, you know, fried foods or, again, burgers and things because there's less calorie content in, in a wrap than, than one of those. And, again, it's fast food. You know, it costs probably similar to what the, 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 you know, McDonald's meal costs. Do you have any recommendations for reliable sources to go to to find diet information? Because all of my information regarding diets is from TikTok which is where like all the fad diets live yeah. and they kind of disguise it with like different names and different things like that. So I feel like, especially as a younger person where social media is kind of just the like news source, the information source these days, it's really hard to find like reliable sources when finding um, good diets to follow. Yeah, uh, totally true. I mean, there's actually, as you know, a lot of nutrition related things on TikTok. And, and not all of it is bad, you know, uh, like there's some really good recipes I've gotten off of TikTok, you know, for healthy foods. But at the same time, there's also just a lot of crap. And so I think what I would advise people is you can still like look at TikTok and like get some ideas. But what you should do is you should go to like kind of a verified professional organization to verify if those diets or ideas have any like merit to them. So, for example, like going to the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website, going to the American Heart Association website, um, you know, the National Institutes of Health, um, going to the MyPlate website. Those are all, like, run by, you know, scientific and professional organizations, and they will provide a lot of really good dietary advice that's based on, on science. So if you find something that's intriguing you on TikTok, uh, do a little homework. Take the next step and go to one of those sites and see if you can find some information to see if that is legit or not. 
Also on TikTok, I tend to see a lot of people promoting certain like supplements and pills that are supposed to like help with diets. I know this is kind of older, but like people were really into like the whatever flat tummy tea yeah. a few years ago and things like that. Do you think there are any like pills, supplements for weight loss that are actually like beneficial to people's health and healthy to use? Or do you think they're all kind of just like marketing scams? I think most of them are scams. You know, there's very... There's very few uh, products out there that actually help in a safe way, you know, and I got to emphasize that safe way. You know, a lot of times there's uh, supplements that are sold that you may not even know what the ingredients are or what the active ingredient is and, you know, and it's expensive. So, like, why would you want to take something where you don't even know what's in it and it costs a lot of money? Yeah, so I would buy nothing that's recommended on TikTok in the form of of a supplement or anything along those lines. Um, but there are, again, there's uh, information on those websites I mentioned about uh, dietary supplements and what could be beneficial and healthy and what is not. Uh, and then, yeah, and, and probably the only thing, and I haven't, you know, looked lately, but maybe there's stuff on TikTok about some of the new weight loss drugs that are out there, like Ozempic and Wegovy and things like that. You know, I mean, that is, I mean, a lot of people use those. There's, you know, millions, probably tens of millions of people that are taking those right now to lose weight. And so you may hear about that on TikTok. Probably is not something I would recommend for anyone young. These are designed for older people who have to lose like 100 pounds and they have diabetes and other severe health problems they need to lose weight to try to treat. That's not for the 20 pound weight loss because, you know, you want to look good for spring break or whatever. It's not for that. Um, And then a really kind of popular trend on TikTok right now is people kind of just always talking about especially in like the gym arena of like cutting versus bulking um like my little brother that's all he talks about he's like oh i'm cutting right now i'm bulking right now do you see like do you think those words are kind of just disguises for like binging and starving yourself or do you think that there's like actual like benefits to the cutting and bulking culture yeah you know that has been around for like forever (laughs) before tiktok people were talking about doing that I mean, for the most part, you know, it is in a way it's starving when you're cutting. In a way, it's binging when you're bulking. There is, like, for people that actually compete in, like, bodybuilding competitions, there is, like, you know, some efficacy in in doing that, in, like, cutting before you compete. But if you kind of step back and look at, you know, why are you exercising? Why are you trying to do this? You're probably doing this to be healthy. Well, doesn't that mean that you kind of need the whole package of healthy food behavior, healthy diet and exercise and not go through these kind of wild swings for a certain look, but you're just more after the whole package of healthy, you know, body healthy diet. Um, And then a lot of when like people go on diets, there's always the topic of like a cheat day. Mm -hmm. Do you think cheat days have any like actual benefit to your diet? Do you think it's like good for your mental health or do you think it's kind of just like a distractor or something that gets in the way of your actual goals? That's a good question. That's really a personalized question. Um, you know, for me personally, I don't really do cheat days. I eat in a certain way, and I just that's the way I just like to eat. And, like, I don't eat a lot of sweets or things like that. I do have them occasionally. It's not a cheat day. It's just once in a while I'll have it, but it's not a regular part of my diet. Um, for some people, cheat days are good because it, like, helps them stay on whatever they're doing. But I think it's really important to have a dietary pattern that's sustainable, that you can live with, that you don't need a cheat day in order to survive the week. 
you know, that's, I think, an important take-home message. So everyone has to decide, you know, how do they have their healthy eating pattern that allows for a little bit of flexibility, but not like, you know, sweets in moderation. Moderation doesn't mean, you know, once a day. I guess, like, finally, as a question, I feel like a lot with fad diets is that it's, like, a short-term diet. It doesn't have to last forever. If you really, truly want, like, certain goals or healthy lifestyle, is a diet just a long-term situation? Or do you think that certain diets are more short-term in addition to, like, healthy lifestyle changes? Yeah, I kind of look at – when I hear the word diet, I to me, that's always, like, a short-term artificial, you know, dramatic change in eating behavior designed to like reduce calories and lose weight. You know, that's not sustainable. Like, you know, there's basically kind of three pillars to maintaining a healthy body weight. One is what you eat. Two is how much you move around. Three is what are your behaviors surrounding exercise and food? Those are the three things. So all three need to be looked at. Um, So as far as diet goes, your eating habits should be something you can live with, something that's healthy, something that's sustainable for you, something that you enjoy, and 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 don't worry about um, you know excluding like you know sweets 100% of the time. I mean, you should not eat very much of them, right? But but you can't exclude them 100% of the time. But something you can live with, that's really important. And the problem with the diet is it's usually such a weird thing that nobody can live with that. Like a, you know, low-carb, like carnivore diet. Who can live with that? I mean, there comes a time where you're just like, I'm sick of eating meat. <laughs> you know, same thing with, you know, keto diet. I mean, it's so hard to live with. So like a Mediterranean diet, a healthy eating pattern, that's something you can live with. And then the other two parts, there's no substitute for moving around for physical activity. And again, it should be sustainable identify things you like to do and make time to do them and just try to incorporate being active in daily life you know walking around more when you can and doing stuff around the house when you can things like that don't like join a gym even though you hate to go to the gym because that's the only way to be active you're kind of guaranteed for failure you're not going to stay in the gym so so again sustainable and then the last part the food behavior part um identify if there's any behaviors in your life that promote weight gain, like are you addicted to having potato chips and beer when you watch football on Sundays? Okay, that's going to let you gain weight at some point. So that's something that you have to, you know, revisit and decide is there a healthier way to do that. Alrighty. Well, before I end this interview, is there anything else that you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about? Um, nope, but I will make a plug for one of the classes we teach, uh, Scientific Foundations of Nutrition and Health, that's uh, offered here at the U, and we talk about a lot of the things that we discussed on this podcast, and it's basically designed to kind of help college students understand the foundations of good health and nutrition and what they can, you know, do moving forward in life. Diet culture is a $73 billion industry. And it seems to succeed off of people's insecurities with their body image. Diet culture has certainly made itself comfortable on social media. It's fair to say that most college students spend their time aimlessly scrolling on TikTok. The Pew Research Center finds that 32% of 18 to 29-year-olds get their news information from TikTok. On TikTok, we're fed so much information at once, coming from people of all kinds. And a majority will take it as factual. 
It's not rare that you'll stumble upon a video of someone hyping up a new type of diet. A majority of the time, these videos are promoting some version of a fad diet. These content creators will rave about the diet, mentioning the regimen and the health benefits and how this specific diet has changed their lives for the better. How could you not want to change your life like they did? I thought I would ask Catherine Pagano about the psychological impacts of these social media pressures. Um, how do you see body image in relation to dieting? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think body image is usually the uh, first thing that we think about before we think about dieting, but it, it also depends. Uh, that's a pretty complicated question. I think when we look at at body image first, we're looking at what causes somebody maybe to have a body image. You know, we all have body image, right? But is it poor? Is it good? Is it bad? What is it, you know, what is it to them? Um, and then I think having, for example, a poor body image can influence um, a sense of feeling out of control. And I think that can often lead to people changing their diet. Um, and that can lead to all kinds of things. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's going to develop an eating disorder, but maybe they start to change things because it's a way of controlling how they look. Um, yeah, but that's a tough question. There's a lot, a lot underneath that. <laughs> um, and then do you think, or do you see typically one main culprit that causes issues with body image, or do you think there are multiple factors? Okay, good question. So there are multiple factors. Uh, when we look at body image, we look at it typically, researchers look at it from a what we call biopsychosocial lens. So we have to look at the biology, the genetics of somebody. We have to look at uh, the social surroundings, their friends, their family, their peers. Uh, today's day and age, media is huge, especially social media. What are they looking at? And then we have to look at the psychology of the person. And all of those are going to contribute in some manner to somebody developing just any sort of body image. It could be a positive body image, right? So, uh, and it's also important to remember that body image is a, is a cultural phenomena. So, you know, people that um, are in different countries, different cultures across the world uphold and I would say idealize different body images. So, you know, for women, I think women are often um, the culprits of a lot of body image scrutiny, but in some cultures, you know, having a large body, a voluptuous body is like very coveted and in other societies, it's very, you know, pencil, um, pencil thin. So, <laughs> um, why do you think we kind of touched on this through the first question, but what do you think, or why do you think people are more willing to participate in fad diets instead of making actual healthy lifestyle changes? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, again, I'm not an expert on eating disorders, but I think when fad, fad diets are so popular, and many of them are not research-based either, they're not researched, you just get people that kind of come up with these fads. They're really popular because they promise quick fixes and everybody wants a quick fix. And I think the focus is usually on like looks, how will I look after I do this thing? Or, um, you know, a lot of fad diets are very restrictive. Um, so people lose weight very quickly and they see changes very quickly and that's appealing to us, right? We don't wanna have to go through long-term changes because let's be real, it takes effort. <laughs> people usually don't wanna put in a lot of effort. They want, they want the quick fix. 
Do you think that there is a fine line between fad diets and eating disorders? That's a great question. Um, and I would say that it, it depends. It really does depend. So when I think of a fad diet, I think of something like uh, the Whole30, or I think of something like uh, the Adkins diet, right? They're like these very niche diets. They really fly into our society quickly and they become popularized very quickly. But then, you know, for example, the Adkins diet, that's kind of out now. You don't see as many people just eating tons of meat and cheese all the time because there's a lot of research actually saying that, you know, doing that isn't good for your cholesterol or saturated fat levels and et cetera. So yeah, I really do think that that depends. That's a tough question. And then do you think that social media has kind of spiked people's interests in dieting? Yeah, definitely. Uh, not necessarily made them more interested in it. I think it's made them more aware of it. It's, it spreads a lot of information very quickly and that isn't necessarily good because information on social media is often not research backed. And I think one thing that's really common among youth today is they go on social media and they might see that somebody has a doctorate, a PhD or an MD that is talking about body image or diet advice and et cetera. Uh, just because they're talking about it though, doesn't necessarily mean that they've done research in it, just like the interview we're having. So I can't recite to you anything that is like empirically research-based right here. If you wanted to start talk, like if we started talking about my research though, what I've actually done and been able to prove, that would have like some scientific merit. So that's where social media is, is a an interesting land to be in because you have people that are experts, right? But it doesn't mean that what they have said actually holds water. So we need to be careful mm. when we look at, at social media posts. <laughs> How do you see societal pressures of things like the freshman 15 impact college students and body image? When it comes to societal pressures and body image, um, there are some main sources of that. And I think that that can come at any stage of life. And the main sources of that are gonna be the media. They're gonna be your friends, your family, your partners, um, and then of course yourself. But those, those are typically like the group of um, what we call societal pressures or social influences that will give us ideas or notions about what we should look like. Uh, and those can be very pervasive depending upon the people that we spend the most time with. Um, so for example, if uh, you're on a sports team, let's say gymnastics, ballet, dance, something like some sort of sport that being very thin or having like weight constraints is like glorified, you're probably more likely to be really thin, right? And, and whatnot. Uh, whereas if you hang out with people that maybe put more emphasis or thinking on like, I don't know, a group that does puzzling or something like that, right? Your focus is more on puzzling and not so much like your physique and how you look. So there is a lot of pressure though, I think in general, I think we, we feel it oftentimes from sources that we can't define. We don't know why we feel that way. Um, and, and it does though boil down to like our friends, our family, our partners and the media. Um, even though, again, we might not be able to define it. It's sort of this like intrusive monster um, that can be hard to, hard to pinpoint. 
you know, because usually we don't wake up in the morning and go like, I don't feel great about my body because, you know, I saw this post on social media. Like we don't make that relationship. Do you see um, like how you mentioned with sports, there's like specific physiques that you want to achieve, which sometimes it's possible and then sometimes it's not like, for example, I was a ballerina my whole life and I don't have the ballet body I could still be thin but like you got to be tall and lean and some people just aren't built that way Mm -hmm. but do you think those standards in sports like physique standards do you think that those should be normalized and do you think they're healthy so I have a good friend that's that's a sports dietitian and she would not agree she would say that um you know typically in sport if you are more muscular you're stronger then you're going to be more useful in whatever that like sport is um, especially for the long term. So let's take like running or dance and et cetera. And you know, height, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, we can't do much about that. Right. Um, but when it comes to your body, your shape, your, your muscularity, your vascularity, your body, uh, fat percentage or your lean, uh, fat free mass index. Now those things we can control, but you know, it's not always, I think the, if you're thinner is better, sort of model is really not good, especially for women, uh, considering the complications that women can face when they uh, are in weight restricting sports. And I think historically coaches, mentors have pushed women to be skinnier and leaner when they really need to be stronger and more muscular. Um, But again, you know, when we think about ballerinas, you know, an image comes to our mind and that's thin and beautiful. uh, And we associate beauty with being good and thin with being good. uh, And these things are are not healthy for us to continue to think and to continue to normalize. But it's it's very pervasive in cultures that um, I would say glorify again, like like the being very thin, being very small. We could look at other sports though too, right? Like swimming, uh, what about men's wrestling? You know, mm-hmm. those are weight categories there. Uh, horse racing, jockeys are already very short, but then they're also, they starve them, themselves to make weight. So um, yeah, it's it's not good stuff, but um, it is a reality of, of some of these sports, yeah. How would you advise someone who's on, like someone on a diet to maintain health, like a good self-esteem about their cells while dieting? Uh, I w- well, the first thing that I think we need to, need to know is why they're dieting. Um, what are they dieting for? Uh, what is the outcome that they're looking for? Is this a health thing? Are they just trying to lose weight? You know, because I've known people that have gone on diets when uh, diets, meaning like they've restricted things that they're eating when they actually need to gain weight. They need to be not restricting and and, and taking just more calories in general. So uh, I would say, you know, and I'm, I'm not a researcher again in the, in the diet culture um, or in the self-esteem realm, uh, but I would say that if somebody's going on a diet in the first place, and the goal is to look a different way, that it's not the diet that is ever gonna cure their self-esteem. There are underlying usually psychological or social issues that we need to look at. Um, And I'm not a clinician, so I can't prescribe those, but yeah, there's there's usually something else going on. (laughs) Do you think that like in diet culture, there are things like cheat days and whatever kind of setbacks that you might have in your diet. Do you think that like things like cheat days 
are kind of like a good thing for self-esteem and body image or do you think it could be more detrimental to the person's goals yeah having cheat meals right is a is a pretty popularized thing in when we look at diets right give yourself a day to just eat whatever you want or do whatever you want um I think we need to rewind though with some of these things because we need to look at again why somebody's going on a diet in the first place. Like what are their reasons for it? What are their goals? What are their outcomes? Um, are they a bodybuilder? You know, do they need to lose weight? I have a great friend who's also a dietitian. She's a bodybuilder and she needs to lose weight in increments. So uh, she calls it being on prep. And, um, you know, she has a very systematic routine on her diet and how much she eats and then, you know, restricting calories closer to her bodybuilding show. So, uh, there's that, um, I would, you know, as far as like having these cheat days, I think it's, it's better to not, if we can restrict ourselves at all. Um, but to, to keep adding in good food and good nutrition. Uh, and then if we're not able to do that on a consistent basis. I think, again, looking at the more psychological things that are driving why we feel like we need to diet or restrict, or, you know, we can, we all, we self-impose like these, these limits on ourselves. And usually that's, that's an aspect of control that we don't feel in other aspects of our life that we need to control over our diet. So again, the, we want to take more of like a psychological approach, like what's going on and why do we need to to have all these rules and regulations, right? Mm -hmm. Because it does, when you think about diet culture, like it's, it's, um, it's almost, it's almost like a hobby for some people, right? To be like always on a diet and always like controlling everything they eat. We need to look at that sense of control and where they don't have that in other areas of their life. So for example, People might not feel a sense of control over their career, over their finances, over their relationships. They might be in a bad relationship. They might have uh, childhood trauma. And all of these things can develop into a sense of like, I don't have control over my life. So then they need to hyper control other areas of their life to sort of regain a sense of control. We call this a misattribution though of, of arousal or of, of anxiety where their anxiety has nothing to do with food and it has everything to do with, with something else. Mm. So yeah, I think the, when do I have a cheat day and when do I have this and how do I do this and how do I preserve my self-esteem? It, it more so comes to down to why do I need to have control over everything? Bigger questions for your questions. <laughs> it's clear that social media can not only impact your ability to find factual resources, but it also impacts the view you have of yourself. As Catherine mentioned, Social media makes us much more aware of our body image. It can come in many forms, either through inspirational videos or maybe even comedy videos. It's pretty hard not to second guess your body image when you're surrounded by media that talks about it constantly. When it comes to social media, I definitely say that it affects like uh, how I see myself and view my body image and also like kind of how I look at healthy eating or just eating habits in general, but it's kind of hard not to when you're just constantly like flooded with that much content. As college students, we scroll on TikTok for hours upon hours. Just think about how many videos we get in such a short amount of time. Go to school. I actually found Target's holiday price. The girl dinner and the Bella Hadid trends are just two examples of a larger issue on social media. 
So my name, my name is Bella Hadid. This is my meal. I call this girl dinner. Girl, girl, dinner. girl dinner. As mentioned by Catherine Pagano, social media makes us much more aware of eating habits and body image. Even if these TikTok trends aren't blatantly telling you to starve yourself, there are certainly underlining tones that contribute to our perception of what being healthy looks like. My eating habits, I definitely um, subscribe to girl dinner culture, which is not great. Um, and I'm usually like a two meals a day type of person, like snacking. And I find that TikTok will like really glorify this like kind of trend of like barely eating and like kind of normalizes it among like women, which is definitely bad. But The media doesn't only create a comparison, but it can also glamorize eating disorders and promote unhealthy lifestyles. A research study conducted by Illinois State University found that a search of hashtag fitspo, usually promoting thinness, returns over 40 million tag posts on Instagram alone. Yeah, I think social media can be detrimental to um, people's like eating habits and just like our confidence and how we view ourselves. Social media can be a very dangerous place for healthy habits when we don't back things up with research. So it's important to be extremely mindful with your consumption. It's fair to say that balancing a healthy mindset and diet can be pretty challenging as a college student. You have many stressors in your life, such as friendships, finals, tuition, etc. And you have a lot of cultural impacts that might change your diet. The time we spend on social media can be a slippery slope into the burden of diet culture. So always remember to fact check the information you're getting on websites like the American Heart Association or the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. As a college student who's trying to maintain a healthy diet, I thought I'd share my own advice. Meal prepping is definitely one of the best ways to save money and time while eating nutritiously. I would recommend finding influencers that share their meal prep regimens for recipe inspiration. My favorite food influencer to follow is definitely Jen Eats Good. She shares her grocery hauls that typically cost under $55 and then proceeds to upload five different meal recipes that makes three to four servings. Welcome back to my series where I'm taking a $55 grocery list and turning it into a week of easy, healthy dinner recipes. By the end, we'll use up all of the ingredients to save money on groceries, reduce food waste, and eat delicious food in the process. Whenever I follow her videos, I end up being set with my meals for the next month, which saves me both time and money. I try and balance what I eat with working out, but I still prioritize my schoolwork if it's a crazy week. I think it's really easy to sneak your exercise in as a college student, as you often find yourself walking to classes or anywhere else for that matter. So I definitely try to sneak in at least 20 minutes of walking when I can't make it to the gym. I hope that you found this episode helpful and that you can take what you've learned and apply it to your life. Maintaining a healthy lifestyle should be fun and not take away from your college experience. Avoid comparing yourself to people who look in shape on social media. Instead, use social media to your advantage and gather healthy recipes and lifestyle tips that are backed by research. A special thank you to Catherine Pagano and Dr. Thunder Jalili for sharing their expertise in body image and nutrition. And another thank you to sources like Pew Research Center, the National Library of Medicine, Illinois State University News, and the Harvard Health Publishing. 
This is Marley Huggins with College Crisis signing off.